Chapter Ten of the Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Ten. With throat unslaked, with black lips baked, agape they heard him call. Grimercy they for joy did grin, and all at once their breath drew in, as they had been drinking all. Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner Hasten of Bucklaw was one of the thoughtless class, who never hesitate between their friend and their jest. When it was announced that the principal persons of the chase had taken their route towards Wolf's Crag, the huntsman, as a point of civility, offered to transfer the venison to that mansion a proffer which was readily accepted by Bucklaw, who thought much of the astonishment which their arrival in full body would occasion poor old Caleb Balderstone, and very little of the dilemma to which he was about to expose his friend the master, so ill-circumstanced to receive such a party. But in old Caleb he had to do with a crafty and alert antagonist, prompt at supplying upon all emergencies, evasions and excuses suitable, as he thought, to the dignity of the family. "'Praise be blessed,' said Caleb to himself. "'A leaf of the muckle gate has been swung to wi' yestering's wind, and I think I can manage to shut the other.' But he was desirous, like a prudent governor, at the same time to get rid, if possible, of the internal enemy, in which light he considered almost every one who ate and drank, ere he took measures to exclude those whom their jocund noise now pronounced to be near at hand. He waited, therefore, with impatience, until his master had shown his two principal guests into the tower, and then commenced his operations. "'I think,' he said to the stranger menials, "'that as they are bringing the stag's head to the castle in all honour, we who are indwellers should receive them at the gate.' The unwary grooms had no sooner hurried out, in compliance with this insidious hint, than one folding door of the ancient gate being already closed by the wind, as has been already intimated, honest Caleb lost no time in shutting the other with a clang, which resounded from dungeon vault to basement. Having thus secured the pass, he forthwith indulged the excluded huntsman in brief parley, from a small projecting window or shot-hole, through which in former days the warders were wont to reconnoitre those who presented themselves before the gates. He gave them to understand, in a short and pithy speech, that the gate of the castle was never on any account opened during meal-times, that his honour, the master of Ravenswood, and some guests of quality, had just sat down to dinner, that there was excellent brandy at the hostler wife's at Wolf's Hope down below, and he held out some obscure hint that the reckoning would be discharged by the master, but this was uttered in a very dubious and oracular strain, for like Louis the Fourteenth. Caleb Balderstone hesitated to carry finesse so far as direct falsehood, and was content to deceive, if possible, without directly lying. This annunciation was received with surprise by some, with laughter by others, and with dismay by the expelled lackeys, who endeavoured to demonstrate that their right of readmission, for the purpose of waiting upon their master and mistress, was at least indisputable. But Caleb was not in a humour to understand or admit any distinctions. He stuck to his original proposition, 
with that dogged but convenient pertinacity which is armed against all conviction and deaf to all reasoning Bucklaw now came from the rear of the party and demanded admittance in a very angry tone but the resolution of caleb was immovable if the king on the throne were at the gate he declared his ten fingers should never open it contrary to the established use and want of the family of ravenswood and his duty as their head servant bucklaw was now extremely incensed and with more oaths and curses than we care to repeat declared himself most unworthily treated and demanded peremptorily to speak with the master of ravenswood himself but to this also caleb turned a deaf ear he's as soon a please as a tap of tow the lad bucklaw he said but the deal of ony master's face he shall see till he has sleepit and wakened on't he'll ken himsell better the morn's morning it sets the like o him to be bringing a crew of drunken hunters here when he kens there is but little preparation to sloken his ain drought and he disappeared from the window leaving them all to digest their exclusion as they best might but another person of whose presence caleb in the animation of the debate was not aware had listened in silence to its progress this was the principal domestic of the stranger a man of trust and consequence the same who in the hunting field had accommodated bucklaw with the use of his horse he was in the stable when caleb had contrived the expulsion of his fellow-servants and thus avoided sharing the same fate from which his personal importance would certainly not have otherwise saved him this personage perceived the manoeuvre of caleb easily appreciated the motive of his conduct and knowing his master's intentions towards the family of ravenswood had no difficulty as to the line of conduct he ought to adopt he took the place of caleb unperceived by the latter at the post of audience which he had just left and announced to the assembled domestics that it was his master's pleasure that lord Bittlebrain's retinue and his own should go down to the adjacent change-house and call for what refreshments they might have occasion for and he should take care to discharge the loin the jolly troop of huntsmen retired from the inhospitable gate of wolf's crag execrating as they descended the steep pathway the niggard and unworthy disposition of the proprietor and damning with more than sylvan license both the castle and its inhabitants bucklaw with many qualities which would have made him a man of worth and judgment in more favourable circumstances had been so utterly neglected in point of education that he was apt to think and feel according to the ideas of the companions of his pleasures the praises which had recently been heaped upon himself he contrasted with the general abuse now levelled against ravenswood he recalled to his mind the dull and monotonous days he had spent in the tower of wolf's crag compared with the joviality of his usual life he felt with great indignation his exclusion from the castle which he considered as a gross affront and every mingled feeling led him to break off the union which he had formed with the master of ravenswood on arriving at the change-house of the village of wolf's hope he unexpectedly met with an acquaintance just alighting from his horse this was no other than the very respectable captain craigengelt who immediately came up to him and without appearing to retain any recollection of the indifferent terms on which they had parted shook him by the hand in the warmest manner possible a warm grasp of the hand was what bucklaw could never help returning with cordiality and no sooner had craigengelt felt the pressure of his fingers 
than he knew the terms on which he stood with him. "'Long life to you, Bucklaw,' he exclaimed. "'There's life for honest folk in this bad world yet.' The Jacobites at this period, with what propriety I know not, used, it must be noticed, the term of honest men, as peculiarly descriptive of their own party. "'Aye, and for others besides, it seems,' answered Bucklaw. "'Otherwise, how came you to venture hither, noble captain?' "'Who I? I am as free as the wind at Martinmas, that pays neither land-rent nor annual. All is explained, all settled with the honest old drivellers yonder of old Reekie. "'Pooh, pooh, they dared not keep me a week of days' endurance. A certain person has better friends among them than you wot of, and I can serve a friend when it is least likely.' "'Pshaw!' answered Haston, who perfectly knew and thoroughly despised the character of this man. "'None of your cogging gibberish. Tell me truly, are you at liberty and in safety?' "'Free and safe as a Whig bailey on the causeway of his own borough, or a canting Presbyterian minister in his own pulpit. And I came to tell you that you need not remain in hiding any longer.' "'Then I suppose you call yourself my friend, Captain Gregengelt?' answered Bucklaw. "'Friend?' replied Craigengelt, my cock of the pit. Why, I am the very Achates man, as I have heard scholars say, hand and glove, bark and tree, thine to life and death. I'll try that in a moment, answered Bucklaw. Thou art never without money, however thou comest by it. Lend me two pieces to wash the dust out of these honest fellows' throats in the first place, and then... Two pieces? Twenty are at thy service, my lad, and twenty to back them. "'I say so,' said Bucklaw, pausing, for his natural penetration led him to suspect some extraordinary motive lay couched under an excess of generosity. "'Craigengelt, you are either an honest fellow in right good earnest, and I scarce know how to believe that, or you are cleverer than I took you for, and I scarce know how to believe that either.' "'L'un n'empêche pas l'autre,' said Craigengelt. "'Touch and try. The gold is good as ever was weighed.' He put a quantity of gold pieces into Bucklaw's hand, which he thrust into his pocket without either counting or looking at them, only observing that he was so circumstanced that he must enlist, though the devil offered the press money. And then, turning to the huntsman, he called out, "'Come along, my lads, all is at my cost!' "'Long life to Bucklaw!' shouted the men of the chase. "'And confusion to him that takes his share of the sport and leaves the hunters as dry as a drumhead!' added another, by way of corollary. "'The house of Ravenswood was yence a good and an honourable house in this land,' said an old man, "'but it's lost its credit this day, and the master has shown himself no better than a greedy cullion.' And with this conclusion, which was unanimously agreed to by all who heard it, they rushed tumultuously into the house of entertainment, where they revelled till a late hour. The jovial temper of Bucklaw seldom permitted him to be nice in the choice of his associates, and on the present occasion, when his joyous debauch received additional zest from the intervention of an unusual space of sobriety and almost abstinence, he was as happy in leading the revels as if his comrades had been sons of princes. Craigengelt had his own purposes in fooling him up to the top of his bent, and having some low humour, much impudence, and the power of singing a good song, understanding besides thoroughly the disposition of his regained associate, 
he headily succeeded in involving him bumper-deep in the festivity of the meeting. A very different scene was in the meantime passing in the Tower of Wolf's Crag. When the master of Ravenswood left the courtyard, too much busied with his own perplexed reflections to pay attention to the manoeuvre of Caleb, he ushered his guests into the great hall of the castle. The indefatigable Balderstone, who from choice or habit worked on from morning to night, had by degrees cleared this desolate apartment of the confused relics of the funeral banquet, and restored it to some order. But not all his skill and labour, in disposing to advantage the little furniture which remained, could remove the dark and disconsolate appearance of those ancient and disfurnished walls. The narrow windows, flanked by deep indentures into the walls, seemed formed rather to exclude than to admit the cheerful light and the heavy and gloomy appearance of the thunder-sky added further to the obscurity. As Ravenswood, with the grace of a gallant of that period, but not without a certain stiffness and embarrassment of manner, handed the young lady to the upper end of the apartment, her father remained standing more near to the door, as if about to disengage himself from his hat and cloak. At this moment the clang of the portal was heard, a sound at which the stranger started, stepped hastily to the window, and looked with an air of alarm at Ravenswood, when he saw that the gate of the court was shut and his domestics excluded. "'You have nothing to fear, sir,' said Ravenswood gravely. "'This roof retains the means of giving protection, though not welcome. "'Methinks,' he added, "'it is time that I should know who they are that have thus highly honoured my ruined dwelling.' The young lady remained silent and motionless and the father to whom the question was more directly addressed seemed in the situation of a performer who has ventured to take upon himself a part which he finds himself unable to present, and who comes to a pause when it is most to be expected that he should speak. While he endeavoured to cover his embarrassment with the exterior ceremonials of a well-bred demeanour, it was obvious that, in making his bow, one foot shuffled forward, as if to advance, the other backward, as if with the purpose of escape, and as he undid the cape of his coat and raised his beaver from his face, his fingers fumbled as if the one had been linked with rusted iron, or the other had weighed equal with a stone of lead. The darkness of the sky seemed to increase, as if to supply the want of those mufflings which he laid aside with such evident reluctance. The impatience of Ravenswood increased also in proportion to the delay of the stranger, and he appeared to struggle under agitation, though probably from a very different cause. He laboured to restrain his desire to speak, while the stranger, to all appearance, was at a loss for words to express what he felt necessary to say. At length Ravenswood's impatience broke the bounds he had imposed upon it. "'I perceive,' he said, "'that Sir William Ashton is unwilling to announce himself in the castle of Wolf's Crag.' "'I had hoped it was unnecessary,' said the Lord Keeper, relieved from his silence as a spectre by the voice of the exorcist, "'and I am obliged to you, Master of Ravenswood, for breaking the ice at once, where circumstances—unhappy circumstances, let me call them—rendered self-introduction peculiarly awkward.' "'And am I not, then,' said the Master of Ravenswood gravely, "'to consider the honour of this visit as purely accidental?' "'Let us distinguish a little,' said the keeper, assuming an appearance of ease which perhaps his heart was a stranger to. 
this is an honour which I have eagerly desired for some time, but which I might never have obtained, save for the accident of the storm. My daughter and I are alike grateful for this opportunity of thanking the brave man to whom she owes her life and I mine. The hatred which divided the great families in the feudal times had lost little of its bitterness, though it no longer expressed itself in deeds of open violence. Not the feelings which Ravenswood had begun to entertain towards Lucy Ashton, not the hospitality due to his guests, were able entirely to subdue, though they warmly combated, the deep passions which arose within him at beholding his father's foe standing in the hall of the family of which he had in a great measure accelerated the ruin. His looks glanced from the father to the daughter with an irresolution of which Sir William Ashton did not think it proper to await the conclusion. He had now disembarrassed himself of his riding dress, and walking up to his daughter, he undid the fastening of her mask. "'Lucy, my love,' he said, raising her and leading her towards Ravenswood, "'lay aside your mask, and let us express our gratitude to the master openly and barefaced.' "'If he will condescend to accept it,' was all that Lucy uttered but in a tone so sweetly modulated, and which seemed to imply at once a feeling and a forgiving of the cold reception to which they were exposed, that coming from a creature so innocent and so beautiful, her words cut Ravenswood to the very heart for his harshness. He muttered something of surprise, something of confusion, and ending with a warm and eager expression of his happiness at being able to afford her shelter under his roof, he saluted her, as the ceremonial of the time enjoined upon such occasions. Their cheeks had touched, and were withdrawn from each other. Ravenswood had not quitted the hand which he had taken in kindly courtesy. A blush, which attached more consequence by far than was usual to such ceremony, still mantled on Lucy Ashton's beautiful cheek, when the apartment was suddenly illuminated by a flash of lightning, which seemed absolutely to swallow the darkness of the hall. Every object might have been for an instant seen distinctly. The slight and half-sinking form of Lucy Ashton, the well-proportioned and stately figure of Ravenswood, his dark features and the fiery yet irresolute expression of his eyes, the old arms and scutcheons which hung on the walls of the apartment, were for an instant distinctly visible to the keeper by a strong red brilliant glare of light. Its disappearance was almost instantly followed by a burst of thunder, for the storm-cloud was very near the castle, and the peal was so sudden and dreadful that the old tower rocked to its foundation, and every inmate concluded it was falling upon them. The soot, which had not been disturbed for centuries, showered down the huge tunnel chimneys. Lime and dust flew in clouds from the wall, and whether the lightning had actually struck the castle, or whether through the violent concussion of the air, several heavy stones were hurled from the mouldering battlements into the roaring sea beneath. It might seem as if the ancient founder of the castle were bestriding the thunderstorm and proclaiming his displeasure at the reconciliation of his descendant with the enemy of his house. The consternation was general, and it required the efforts of both the Lord Keeper and Ravenswood to keep Lucy from fainting. Thus was the master a second time engaged in the most delicate and dangerous of all tasks, that of affording support and assistance to a beautiful and helpless being, who, as seen before in a similar situation, 
had already become a favourite of his imagination, both when awake and when slumbering. If the genius of the house really condemned a union betwixt the master and his fair guest, the means by which he expressed his sentiments were as unhappily chosen as if he had been a mere mortal. The train of little attentions, absolutely necessary to soothe the young lady's mind, and aid her in composing her spirits, necessarily threw the master of Ravenswood into such an intercourse with her father, as was calculated for the moment at least to break down the barrier of feudal enmity which divided them. To express himself churlishly, or even coldly, towards an old man whose daughter, and such a daughter, lay before them, overpowered with natural terror, and all this under his own roof, the thing was impossible, and by the time that Lucy, extending a hand to each, was able to thank them for their kindness, the master felt that his sentiments of hostility towards the Lord Keeper were by no means those most prominent in his bosom. The weather, her state of health, the absence of her attendants, all prevented the possibility of Lucy Ashton renewing her journey to Bittlebrain's house, which was full five miles distant, and the master of Ravenswood could not but, in common courtesy, offer the shelter of his roof for the rest of the day and for the night. But a flush of less soft expression, a look much more habitual to his features, resumed predominance when he mentioned how meanly he was provided for the entertainment of his guests. "'Do not mention deficiencies,' said the Lord Keeper, eager to interrupt him and prevent his resuming an alarming topic. "'You are preparing to set out for the continent, and your house is probably for the present unfurnished. All this we understand.' but if you mention inconvenience, you will oblige us to seek accommodations in the hamlet. As the master of Ravenswood was about to reply, the door of the hall opened, and Caleb Balderstone rushed in. End of chapter 10